This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. Earlier this year, Joe Biden announced that after close to 20 years, the United States would begin withdrawing its troops from Afghanistan. Last week, as the military began its exit, the Taliban was ready and within days had seized control of the country. Their ascent sparked widespread fear and led to thousands arriving at the airport, only to find their flights out of the country had been canceled. Some even grabbed a hold of the aircraft in desperation. Biden has defended the decision, arguing that Afghanistan political leaders gave up and fled the country. The Afghan military collapsed sometime without trying to fight. If anything, the developments of the past week reinforced that ending U.S. military involvement in Afghanistan now was the right decision. That said, he did concede that this did unfold more quickly than we had anticipated. As the government fell, it was not clear if the U.S. had done anything to protect those who had worked with the military as translators. Plans to resettle Afghans as refugees seemed to be formulated in real time. The rights of women and girls, which were suppressed under the Taliban's previous time in power, also appeared in jeopardy. And the lives of Christians, who according to official numbers only make up a minuscule number of the country's nearly 40 million people, seem in peril as well. We wanted to discuss the situation, the church in Afghanistan, and how we can best support the country and its people during this time. You are listening to Quick to Listen, where we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee, Global Media Manager at Christianity Today. I'm Daniel Silliman, News Editor at Christianity Today. All right, Daniel, it's great to have you here on Quick to Listen. I would love to hear a little bit about what your gut check is to this massive story in this past week. I mean, I think I feel like a lot of people distraught and surprised. I mean, the the speed at which it happened surprised me. I felt like it built, but every day it seemed like there was a slightly different expectation about what was going to happen and what we would what we would see happen next, which reminded me a little bit. I've been thinking about two thousand one when 9-11 happened and then and then the buildup to the invasion of Afghanistan and then what the events after that. I was in college and a pretty pivotal time in my life. I was rethinking a lot of things like a lot of people in that in that moment. But I do remember that same feeling of like having these intense debates based on this idea that we had a good idea of what the future held. And then six months later being like, what happened to that whole narrative about we all knew like this was going to happen and therefore we had to do either this or this, you know, at that formative age, it gave me a real appreciation for people who weren't doing takes, but who knew actual facts and who like understood life on the ground yeah, and I've been reminded of that as we've as we've watched this. That like there are a lot of people with with opinions and predictions that may or may not be based in reality, and it's it's good to always turn to those people who know actual stuff in these really fraught situations. What about you? What's your gut reaction to this? 
Yeah, my gut reaction has been feeling pretty emotionally overwhelmed by all the news, probably starting since a week ago. Yeah, I, I feel in some ways weird grieving all of this since I don't have direct connections. I have a lot of second degree connections through my parents who are close to a lot of people who have done work in Afghanistan and other people in their life who are Afghan as well. And at one point I was involved in the Afghan community. I grew up in a part of the Bay Area that's actually home to the largest amount of Afghan diaspora that's in the United States. I often think of that community because of my own hometown. Yeah, I feel very demoralized and angry. I think just a little bit on the political side, there were many times under the previous administration where I just felt the sense of outrage and a sense of like, we're better than this. And I had hoped that those feelings would (laughs) not be coming back anytime soon. And that's exactly how I felt this past week of embarrassed to see us putting so many people in pain this way. I think I personally don't know what to think about whether the U.S. should have stayed or gone, but the way that we went out seems so antithetical to how I want my country to operate in the world. For instance, the stuff with the translators, that's like not a new problem. I've seen people advocate for creating better pathways for people who have helped the U.S. military at the expense of their own lives. I've seen them advocate for years and been so unclear bureaucratically why this is something that we cannot figure out. I mean, this is just a system, right? I've also been dismayed to see that to want to postpone when we would actually accept Afghan refugees because of the political consequences of that, which just seems so cynical and depressing. So I don't know. I'm pretty upset about everything and eager to educate those in our quick to listen community with someone who's a lot closer to the situation. So who's our guest? Really excited to have a guest who who can help us with some of those things and who knows things and can inform us. We're talking to David Pyman, who is an evangelist who works with CBN and Afghan TV, Voice of Christ, which goes to Afghanistan and Tajikistan and all over. David is currently in the U.S. He's an Afghan and has family and church friends in Afghanistan and can walk us through this as we all process. Thank you, David. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Thank you for having me here. And thank you for your concern about Afghanistan and whatever you share about graving. Of course, we are in graving and our heart is heavy. We see the news that Afghanistan is bleeding and, and everywhere in the street we can see hopeless people are left behind and all those things we see and see on the news. But sometimes we see more more a reality when we talk to people in, inside Afghanistan. This morning I've been talked to uh, many believers inside Afghanistan and, and also many other Afghans inside Afghanistan. They are hopeless. They are crying out for help. And they are crying out for, for American army, you know, uh, and some of, some of them send me a video and then there is many ladies, women and girls, they have been to airport and they're crying out to American soldier to help them. They have been there to, to serve them and to help them, but it's over. It is too much. 
my heart is broken. Can you take us back to 2001 when America invaded? What was that like for you? What was that like for, for Christians in the country? What was that experience? That's I call false hope. <laughs> yeah, on 2001, I never forgot that when American army came and take over, everyone celebrating. Everyone got freedom. People was praising and thankful to America. And they said, oh, we are free now. I was about 17 years old. Oh, during that time, I was very, very excited because uh, I was Muslim. I was Muslim as like, especially I'm from Hazara tribes. My tribe was in the precious uh, pressure of Taliban, you know, because mostly Hazara from Shia Muslim and all Taliban from Sunni Muslim. I've been saw like many Hazara killed by Taliban on the, on those times. And when America came in 2001, I was so excited. And I was so happy that we got freedom of speech, freedom of uh, religion, freedom of everything that we can uh, practice in Afghanistan. From 2001 to 2006 was good. It was okay. And then again, starting like from 2006 to 2010, it's a little bit changed from 2010 to 2021. It was not the good situation in Afghanistan as well because the government was corrupt. You know, whatever whatever American, America helped Afghanistan government, they don't do what they're supposed to do. I don't want to go to the politics like I heard the speech of uh, Joe Biden. What he said, I'm really angry with him because he said, Afghan itself, they don't have willing to take care of their country. You know, how much we can help? They, they use billions of dollars there, but they don't have willing to help their own country. Of course, it's painful that many Afghans live behind there, and now we see that Afghanistan is bleeding and, you know, like people are crying out for help, but because they don't take care of their own country. When you talk about corruption, I think we know what that means abstractly, but what did it look like when someone is, I don't know, walking down the street? What, what is an example? Where would you see the corruption in the country? Okay, just this example. President Ghani, they introduced... 300,000 army of Afghanistan to America that uh, they got money from for it. But when Taliban came, they took over only 15 days, 20 days, they take over every, everywhere, everything. Where there are 300,000 army and soldier, we can see there was lie. I want to talk about the issue of women and girls. How did you notice that they were treated before the Americans arrived? Of course, the girls cannot go to school and the women cannot go out without any man. There was trouble. And now Taliban says a little bit different. But this morning I heard news that people cannot go out without any man. Now, sorry, the girls and women, they cannot go out without any man. The man has to be with them. I don't know what to say about 20 years back Taliban and now. I don't think they change. It still is the same. The Sharia, the Sharia never changed. So under the past 20 years, though, you saw girls going to school, which was not happening under the Taliban. And you saw way more women working, right? Yeah, exactly. Did you have any um, women who were leading churches or doing evangelism or did they show up in church leadership too? Yes, my sister-in-law, she leading a house church there uh, under the main leadership. Yeah, and other girls, she try to help other women and do Bible study with them and leading them. 
woman to woman, men to men, under the men leadership. What the Bible says. Now the fear, right, is that the schools that were open to girls are going to be closed, right? And like you said right now, women may not be able to leave the house without men. Yes. They cannot leave without men to go somewhere. Few school is open, but only the girls like under 14 years, they can go to the school. And we don't know yet about the college. In Herat City, last week, the girls supposed to go to college, but and Taliban stopped them. We are here in America. We see what we see on Twitter or television or wherever, but but maybe in a not just for this moment, but generally speaking, what do you find that Americans don't know about Afghanistan that you really want them to know, or what do they maybe misunderstand about what they do know? Actually, many things the Americans should know that about Afghan believers is my concern. Afghan who convert to Christian, their their life is in danger. Their life absolutely in danger now, especially for people who are registered as a Christian in Afghanistan. It's about 39 families there, and then they already got their identity. And then 140 other Afghan believers, they already registered, but they don't get yet. They are, they're all, they were in process. And then suddenly everything is turn it in different way. And they are really des- desperately in need for help that many people do not know that. They just heard about the news that people, uh, sorry, Taliban say a very good news, a very soft words. Oh, we forgive everyone. We do our best to build our country. That's not actually the truth. The truth we heard from inside, they are, uh, went to house to house to search people to find them. They have been to many uh, Afghan believers' house and they took the Bibles and uh, with them. Praise God that there was not Af- uh, Afghan believers there uh, at their home, but they're still searching for them. David, I think we may need to give a little bit historical context for what's happening right now with Christians. You had mentioned them. Can you talk a little bit what it was like to be a Christian under President Ghani's government? It is not uh, about President Ghani, it's about Islamic law, okay? And inside Afghanistan, there is two law. It is like human right law, which is accepted by President Ghani, that we human right. We try to give value to the human, but they always compare human right law with Sharia law, which is Islam law. They have to go under Sharia law. They have to pass Sharia law. Of course, Sharia law, for Christian, if any Muslim convert to Christianity, the penalty is death. Is it absolutely? The penalty is death. There is no human right there. There is nothing human right and Sharia law to talk about Muslim convert to Christian. But under President Ghani's government, Christians were required to register? Is that Was that the previous law? No, there, there was not required to register, but what they did, because they... They did for their next generation. They register as a Christian to sacrifice for next generation because they don't want their children call as a Muslim because their identity should be a Christian. They should call as a Christian, not as a Muslim. Is your religion something that is printed on your ID cards? Exactly, yes. But what they did in the system, they were like Christian, but when they printed out, they 
called other. They cannot print it out. Christian, of course, if they print it out, a Christian, they, they first trouble with, with their own family. They cannot go to bank. They cannot get license. They cannot do, uh, get anything. Of course, in actual and the reality, they are Christian, but printed out is other, not mention any religion or anything else. This was a big step historically for people to start declaring themselves in this official way that they're Christian and and making public their faith. Sometimes at great risk. When did Afghan Christians first register like this, thinking about the future generations? This is start discussion from 2019, actually, but somehow many people doesn't agree to do that. But after many Afghan, they, they were in the meeting and it was in Dubai in 2019, in Emirat, sorry, in Emirat, Dubai. And, and then after all Afghans came inside Afghanistan, they were there, they, was there, they were disappointed. They went back to Afghanistan. They keep praying for that decision. After two years, they feel to register as a Christian. It's happened about four months ago, they start registering. People started registering during this time, partially so that when their children were born, right, they were not going to have these IDs on here. So Afghanistan is a big country. Was this happening in Kabul? Was this happening in the villages? Where were these Christians deciding to take the stand? It is in Kabul. Like all the Christian, they registered is in Kabul. Today I heard news. I'm very hope that that's that's a false news. But I heard that there was like three Christian family they taken by Taliban and their houses burned. We don't know where they are. I'm not sure yet that it is like exactly what's going on there. There are very few Christians that live in this country. How did people end up hearing the gospel? There's a lot of Christian. There is not few Christian. There is a lot of Christian during these two, three years, which I'm like in media, I get calls every day, many calls, at least 10 calls from Afghanistan. They want to receive Christ. There was many Christian inside Afghanistan. There are like many house churches, home churches inside Afghanistan. They start sharing gospel to each other. They're like I'm talking about these uh, families they registered as a Christian. They were very openly, briefly share gospel with people. A lot of people they heard from media, from Facebook, from YouTube, from uh, uh, TV. Whenever they receive Christ, we try to connect them with them to get disciples and to grow in Christ inside Afghanistan. I was wondering if you could talk about how you came to faith. You mentioned that in 2001, you were a Muslim. How did Jesus find you? I don't want to come to faith. I, I was hate Christian. I don't like to become a Christian because I'm from a very religious Muslim background. My father was Imam, Imam in praise. They taught me how to be a good Muslim. Six times I have been to Mecca and I practice my religion very well because I was taught only Muslim religion is the, the, the only religion, the only way to God. After my sixth time pilgrimage of Mecca to go to Mecca for Hajj, and the, the, the sixth time stranger man came to me from Syria and he shared his testimony, how he received Christ inside the Mecca, how he saw the vision of Christ when he was during his pilgrimage in, in Mecca. And that's make me angry with him. You know, I, I tried to fight with him. I tried to, you know, like, I want to kill you. But 
after 45 minutes of our conversation, and he, uh, he asked me, would you please let me to pray for you? I was very proud. I said, okay, you pray for me, I will pray for you. When he start to pray, and I just close my eyes to listen to him. When he pray, it seems that he knew my problem. He knew my heart. He knew that I'm searching for the real peace. And that prayer led me to Christ. After he finished his prayer, the big question came to my mind. I said, if this person is infidel in murtad, we call in, in Muslim, and uh, if somebody become follower of Christ, he's murtad, he's worthy to kill. I said, if he's a dirty man, if he's a, uh, he's a infidel, how could he knows my heart? He gave me a New Testament. Of course, I read. I didn't uh, accept because I was thought, okay, because my father thought Bible is corrupt. It's a change. He don't believe it. Six months later, I have been to Afghanistan in, in 2007. I went to Afghanistan. I shared this experience with my best friend. And then he gave me Bible in my own language. He said, don't worry about New Testament. Just start it from Genesis. When I start reading from Genesis, I knew inside of my heart that Something is true here because God himself start reaching human to find them back, to bring them back to him. And that's so clear for me. That was like so clear that, wow, this is God himself wants human being to come to him. Of course, I took the Bible from him. I start to read the Bible in my city, Ghazni. It's about 250 kilometers from uh, Kabul. And I start comparing Bible and Quran. I know two of my friends, and then every day we start in comparing Bible and Quran. We try to find which part they change, which part of the Bible is corrupt. And then, whilst I'm still reading, Mus uh, sorry, uh, reading uh, Bible, and I was Muslim practicing Muslim, and I catch by police, and somebody report that oh, I'm reading Bible. They catch me, and then they took the Bible from me. They, I find myself in the mosque. And there was about 60 or 70 people there. And they start asking me why I'm reading Bible. And then the imams, I argue with him and ask him question from Quran itself. He cannot answer me. And then he started and claim, he said that, oh, he proved that he's a Christian. I was not a Christian. I was a Muslim. I was, I don't want to become a Christian. They start bidding me. They start bidding me to die. You know, like I become unconscious. And then I was, I find myself in police station. I give a lot of money and then I run away from police station. I went to Kabul. I was hiding myself in safety house, which is a lot of American there. And then a lady from Canada, she helped me. After one month, she helped me. She was a missionary. I do not know at that time. She helped me to escape my country to India. In India, I meet Afghan Christian there. I was very, very upset, very angry with them. Every day I start to fight with them. One of the the guy I fight with him, and he's now inside Afghanistan. He's sharing gospel there. Three months later, one of my friends, he had epilepsy. I called pastor with his uh, friend, and they came and prayed for my uh, friend who had epilepsy. He fall down. And then at the moment, he got healed. On that moment, I see power. I don't want to say that, oh, I see the power my, in actual, my actual eyes. No, I feel the power. I, I knew that in the name of Jesus, there was power. I went to bathroom and I, I received Christ in bathroom and asked him to come to my life. And I received him. I give my life to Christ on 2008. Why did you go to the bathroom? Because for, uh, for me, I don't want to shift Christ in front of them because I don't want to become a Christian. I don't want them to know that I'm receiving Christ. I want to receive Christ very secretly. 
that I totally understand how that can be a private and sounds like really powerful moment. How did that practically change your life in 2008? Yeah, on that night after I, I came out from bathroom and I washed my, I cried there, I cried and cried and then I came out and washed my face and then I uh, make tea for, for my guests. The pastor knew something happened to me. And then after drinking tea for Afghan culture, that whoever comes to your house, you have to give them tea without asking they want or not. <laughs> after our tea service and he came to me, the pastor, he came to me and said, would I pray for you? And I said, of course. And he put his hand on my shoulder. He started to pray. And then I start to cry and receiving and confessing my sin. And, and the next day, everything changed. I feel different. I talk different. Everything changed in my life. I, I, I can see different. I can see people is different now. I start sharing gospel next day, just right away. I start sharing gospel with people. I said, only Jesus can save your life. Only Jesus can give you peace. Only Jesus can give you hope. So when you started telling people, did anyone believe you? Did anyone decide to learn more about Christianity? Uh, of course, in the first, uh, I mean, believers did not believe me because I was persecuted them, you know. They don't believe me because they think that, oh, his baby uh, came from uh, Afghanistan, Afghan government because I was, I had a very close friendship with the embassies. They thought, oh, maybe he's high from them. But later on, they believe me. Of course, after we share gospel, right away, people do not believe. I saw many people come to Christ in India. I received Christ uh, 2008. I was in India for five and a half years, and then I moved to Indonesia. I was in Indonesia for three years. We do start house churches there, and then we got baptized like about 72 uh, Iranian people. And during those three years, 17 Afghan believers, Muslim, convert to Christ. We baptized them. And then 2015, I moved to Australia. I start a church in Afghan church in Sydney, Australia, till 2019. 2019, I moved here in America, and now we have ministry here. We helping refugee, and we start our house church here in Memphis, Tennessee. What do you find about God or about Jesus really resonates with Afghans? What do they love about Christianity? Uh, I heard many people that. My friends, especially here, many of them, they say that the thing we see, uh, the reality of love in Christian life, they love you without anything. They love you unconditionally. They don't expect you to do something to them. They love you just as you are. Because in Afghan culture, when you love them, you try to speak something to them. They, you, when you love some people, like you expect them, they love you back. Many of them, they said here in, in Memphis, Tennessee, they said, we see the true love in American people and Christian people. Yeah, that love now is opened the door for us. We can share gospel with our Afghan friends here. What type of long-term impact do you think that the withdrawal will have on the mission field in Afghanistan? Long-term is like to help Afghan believers itself inside Afghanistan you see something happen, the missionary easily can come out, you know, from Afghanistan. But who are left by, uh, behind? Only Afghan. If they are like disciple well, have equipment well, you know, they can share gospel, 
they know how to share gospel inside Afghanistan. That's for me, that's long-term helping Afghan Christian inside Afghanistan should start from inside Afghanistan, not from outside Afghanistan. That's that's my opinion. Afghan uh, start leading the church, they start discipling people, and that's all Afghan are doing now. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and Counting, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, hope, and redemption. Written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. What I loved most of all about Israel and why I became a Zionist was because Zionism was a rejection of victimhood. A few weeks ago on CT's The Bulletin, we launched Promised Land, a new podcast about Israel and Palestine in a post-October 7th world. 6.30 a.m. we're, we're in, in, in our synagogue praying and sirens go off and they're, and they're going on. Based on interviews and conversations captured on the ground in Israel last November, it's an exploration of the spiritual, political, and historical roots of the conflict. When there's a weak Israel, every Jew in the world is weak. And why should uh, a Russian Jew who has nothing to do with this land come, come here? Why? Right. I mean, if you want, you can give them Texas. You love them so much. I am alive because I wasn't, I, I didn't come home. But they, all my friends that were here were murdered, here, here, over there. This week, Promised Land moves to its own feed. You'll find links in the show notes, so if you haven't heard it yet, you can go catch up and catch the new episodes as they come all in one place. This past week has been really demoralizing. How has it affected your faith in God? Whenever I talk to believers inside Afghanistan, I find myself myself that they are far big step. Their faith is, faith is like in the second step. My faith is like, you know, very low. Their faith is very, very big, and they really give their life to Christ. Jesus said that in the, uh, if you don't took your cross, you're not worthy to follow me. If you're not confess in front of people that you're not, I will not confess you in front of my father. Exactly they are doing now in the believers. They took their cross. They took their cross and they are willing, willingly took their cross and they try to come under the grace of God, joyfully give their life to Jesus. You talked about people crying out for, for help. This is obviously debated. People have different opinions, but what's your sense of what American Christians should be doing out of out of love right now as the war's gone on for a long time. Many people have died. It seems like in some ways it, it failed as a as a project, but these are people and our, our heart goes out to them crying out for help. What would you want American Christians to be doing right now? All Christians should practice two things, at least two things. Go and give. If you cannot go, you should give. You know, <laughs> if you're a believer, you have to share gospel. 
glow or give, you know, like giving and supporting is all the one part. And then you're talking about right now about crying for help. The only things that I, I think for me, the only things that uh, Christian in America can do is prayer, you know, help them financially, send them something like they can, they can have food to eat. Other way, I don't think they can help. You know, this morning I talked to one leader and he's ready to, to go to Christ. He's ready to go to Jesus. And you know what he told me? He said, after I go, would you please take care of my family? He, he shared me from Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. It says that, For to me to live is a Christ, and to die is gain. To die, I get my life. I start my life with Christ. And that's really encouraged me. And that's really encouraged me. The only things for me a burden of his family. And he gave his life to Christ. And of course, I have burdened my heart to take care of his family. It's has the burden for all Christians in America to cry out to God and pray for them. And if you know people to help them to take out, take them out of Afghanistan, that's the greatest help. So yes, you would say American Christians should also support claiming thousands of refugees here. Exactly. Exactly. Sorry, another thing that American believers and Americans should know about church and Afghanistan church is people churches they knew we are the church and they understood that but here mostly most of uh, america they said building is a church there is a building across on it that's they call church but actually afghanistan is the real church is going on i'm so 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 uh, encouraged by their ministry i was going to ask you about your prayers what are you praying for as you speak to people back in Afghanistan and Afghans here? Like, what are your prayers like these days? To be honest, in the first two, three days, I don't know how to pray. And I cannot pray even because my heart was so heavy. And when I see the news, I was like so upset with American and I was, was so upset with the missionaries. I was so angry. You know, that's my human nature you know i could not even do pray praise god slowly when i talked to them they encouraged me they said jesus is with us now now my prayer is for afghanistan for especially for believers they my prayer for the grace of god the grace of god always be over them i always pray the grace of god over the believers because they cannot do anything out of grace of God. You know, they have to be under the grace of God. With the grace of God, they can do all things. That's my prayer. <laughs> Amen. David, in their new countries, what should we pray for them? That they get connected to church community and build their lives someplace new? Yeah, please pray for believers. They are leaving the countries, especially pray for Two families, they just arrived in Pakistan and three families, they are in uh, Iran now. Four families, they are in Tajikistan. Yeah, please pray for them and specifically pray for four families inside Afghanistan. I think I already mentioned their life is really seriously in danger. Their food is in everywhere and please pray for them. Of course, we are praying to you know, make them contact to another believers at churches and uh, their second countries as a refugee. 
also pray for us here that we make decisions wisely. Pray for Afghan Christian outside that we really carefully help them to not give them false hope to say something that we cannot make our promise. And please pray for that also. Would you be willing to end our show in a word of prayer? Sure. Dear Father, you are good Father. You are good, good, good Father. I know you know everything about my country. You love my people. You love Taliban. You love even people persecuting us, Lord. You love them, Lord. Lord, you command us to love them back. Oh, Lord, please help Afghan Christians, especially Afghan believers inside Afghanistan, to love them, Lord. To love them and share your words to them, Lord. Lord, I pray for your protection, Lord, over believers inside Afghanistan, Lord. Lord, I pray for, for my people, that, Lord, they are hopeless. They, does, they, they just see the darkness, Lord. Lord, I pray that your light be shine on them, Lord. Open their mind, open their heart to see you, to see that you love them, to see that you went to Christ or uh, to cross for them, you die for them. Lord, open their eyes. They can taste you and see that you are a good, good God. You are a merciful God. Lord, I pray for American army, Lord, and Afghanistan, Lord. I pray that protect them from evil, Lord. Help them. Give them wisdom to choose the right people and bring them, Lord, out. Lord, I also pray for my brother and sister outside of Afghanistan, Lord. I pray for the churches, Lord. Lord, I'm, I, I, I said thank you to you, Lord, for my spiritual family here, Lord. They encourage us, Lord. Thank you for each one of them, Lord. Lord, I pray that give them wisdom and knowledge to help us in your way, not in their own way, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right. Well, that will wrap up our conversation here. I really appreciate, David, you joining our show and sharing your personal experience, your love for God, and for also leading us in prayer to end the show. For people who have feedback for us, um, we always invite you to send us an email. We are at podcast at christianitytoday.com. And I imagine that many of you have felt a lot of feelings about the events of this past week and we're hopeful that this gave you some another perspective and something to chew on so do write us back and let us know your thoughts now is the time of the show that we call precious moments and we know this is a heavy show this week but we still want to mention something that has brought us joy even admits a lot of the pain and hardship that's been going on. So, Daniel, do you have something that you would like to share? I have been reading a book that is quite good that I really enjoy. I'd recommend it to our readers. It's called Charles Lindbergh, A Religious Biography of America's Most Infamous Pilot by uh, historian Christopher Gertz. As some people know, writing a book in this same series, and Chris's is just really exemplary of what a religious biography can do. Charles Lindbergh, the pilot, wasn't a Christian, and he 
wrestled with white supremacy and at some points his sympathies towards Nazism. And then that got wrapped up in spirituality and his sense of how there was a higher purpose in the world. So it's a really complicated story and it has a lot to say about being spiritual but not religious, which is a term we hear a lot, real moral dangers that can come with that. And it's just really well done. So I recommend that. Charles Lindbergh by Christopher Gertz. I am on Twitter at Daniel Silliman and, of course, at Christianity Today. All right. My precious moment for today is the song by Hillsong called Highlands, parentheses, Song of Ascent. My church experiences, I don't know, have not always had a ton of music. I know that may sound weird to people, but gone to house churches for a while and some house churches do focus a lot on music and some of them don't. And I was at one that didn't have a lot of focus on music for a while. And then now I go to one intermittently because of COVID, which is where I learned this song. I'm sure people who are more plugged into worship music already know it, but I heard the song at church maybe three months ago and I thought about it last night when I was just feeling so overwhelmed. I'm just I'm just really grateful for worship music and the power that it can have to remind me of stuff that I already believe in, but may not actually be thinking of or remembering at a particular time. Shout out to good worship music. People can find me on Twitter. I'm at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. All right, David, do you have something you want to share? Yeah, I just want to share that my precious moment this morning when I was talking with my friends inside Afghanistan and the people that they, they share uh, their words. And one of them, he encouraged me. He said that Bible taught us to rejoice always, rejoice always in prayer. And that was my, you know, my precious moment that I had from someone under the suffering and persecution. Anyone want to contact me, you know, like the Afghan Voice of Christ or Afghan media, they can go there and find it and they can write and you are on Facebook and YouTube, right? Exactly, yeah. Well, that is it for us this week. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Quick to Listen. This podcast is produced by myself and Matt Lindor. The transcript is done by Faith and Dovu, and the music is done by Sweeps. We invite you all to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and mostly just to send us emails about your thoughts about what we've been talking about. I know some of you have been listening to the show for a while, so if there's past episodes that you wanted to give commentary on, feel free to send us an email. If the show sparked anything for you, write us as well. We will see you all next week. Bye. This episode was brought to you in part by The Truce Podcast. The new season examines the connection between some evangelicals and the Republican Party with the help of world-class historians. Subscribe to Truce in your podcast app or listen at trucepodcast.com.